Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 23rd, 2021, including Halo Infinite's latest test flight begins this weekend, Titanfall 3 is not happening, but it is, Quantic Dream could be working on a Star Wars game, and more. Apologies at the top, not feeling 100% myself this week, I'm coming down with a little bit of something, so that's just to forewarn you if I sound a little lethargic or uh, out of the ordinary today, but thank you for putting up with it anyway. It's another week of Xbox on, and first we got a bunch of shit to get out of the way before we can get into our regular comments. This uh, this top of the show just keeps getting more and more crowded with just random bullshit, I don't quite seem to know where else to put, so good news is it's all Xbox related, so so don't worry, no no ranting here but we, we might squeak a, a little bit of a rant in all right first things first couple little things that aren't going to be in the news proper but i do want to just address these these tend to be like stories that have been just ongoing that you know we're kind of sick of but we, we there's an obligation to make mention of so our first one here is about the story we're all sick of hearing for multiple reasons and it's the Activision, the Activision lawsuit. So a little update on what's going on with that this week. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, has subpoenaed Activision Blizzard for several uh, or several executives at the company, including the CEO, Bobby Kotick. According to the Wall Street Journal, Activision Blizzard is reportedly being asked to hand over documents such as records of messages between Activision leadership, Bobby Kotick, and others as it relates to the company in response to the accusations of sexual misconduct. So this is a little bit of an update where, you know, Activision keeps, you know, saying everything's okay, we're doing everything to listen to our employees and, you know, to make right on this, and we did nothing wrong for the most part, and some of this information is being wildly misconstrued and exaggerated, but at the the same time, we're also getting more and more stories like this. It's constantly developing, so we're not here to speculate on it, but I do need to point it out. This is where it's evolved to, so now you got the guy at the very top being basically legally forced into speaking on behalf of certain accusations and certain elements of this lawsuit going forward so things are getting spicier more heated so there's a little update on that and now another story that kind of relates to that uh on the other side of activision over at team blizzard the team probably most to blame for the majority of this of this lawsuit here uh blizzard's chief legal officer and senior vp claire hart has resigned from the company Spent over three years working at the World of War uh, at the World of Warcraft Maker, which is the Activision center of the ongoing lawsuits. By the way, this is all this is all pulled from Video Games Chronicle. Hart directed the global legal and public policy team for the studio while also working for Activision Blizzard, according to her LinkedIn profile. She said in an exit quote, "The past three years have been full of unexpected twists and turns, but I feel honored to have worked with and met so many great people at Blizzard across the Activision Blizzard business." She said, so you you might understand why someone who is in charge of global legal and public policy for the studio <laughs> might be leaving. I'm sure it's probably someone up top who's not incredibly pleased with uh, how she's been able to, one, not cover this uh, these these happenings up well enough to to cover Activision's ass, and two, I, I don't know, it's, it's I, actually, let me retract my two, because she's only been there for three years, so it's kind of hard to see how she could be responsible you know, or held accountable for so many things that happened before her tenure. So 
But nonetheless, with a job title like that, it's pretty easy to see why someone of that position might be uh, leaving the company during a time like this. So, you know, assuming she was one of the, the good actors in this situation, which, you know, all the best of them, you know. That's the update on the ugly story we're tired of talking about, but we just got to get out of the way. Now, I do want to take a little bit, of, a second to kind of go back on a, a hot take I had last week. Now, I'm always having hot takes. That's what half this show is. But I got to be able to call myself out when, when I think I say something that is very hypocritical of, you know, a stance I generally take. And I think last week, maybe I came across an instance where I was being a little hypocritical and also just kind of a little forgetful of some things that are currently happening at Xbox. So we were talking about the PlayStation show from the other week and about how PlayStation had such a great showing and it was so strong. The pacing was so good and got into how they're doing a really good job of securing all this Disney stuff. So many companies are securing so much Star Wars and Marvel and Disney shit right now, but Xbox needs to kind of get on it. But I thought about it more and more after I record the episode. I'm like, you know, between the Pirates Life DLC for Sea of Thieves and Indiana Jones, which is, of course, being worked on by Machine Games, a newly acquired Xbox studio from the Bethesda deal. Uh, it's it's clear that there is some Disney, Lucasfilm, whatever stuff going on, and that Xbox is kind of getting in on this new wave of uh, find what Marvel character, find what Disney thing you can get your hands on, and let's do it. And now Marvel is where Xbox is clearly struggling the most. They don't have anything in that regard. But it, I, I did kind of make it seem like Xbox is doing absolutely nothing in that regard, where they absolutely are doing something it's just you know it's hard to compare it equally when it's like well sony's got star wars and spider-man and xbox has got like indiana jones which which comes second to star wars and then nothing from marvel you know pirates which comes second to marvel you know disney comes second to marvel in my personal opinion i'd rather have indiana jones over star wars i'd rather have pirates of the caribbean over marvel you know I'd, i'd rather have like true disney like pirates of the caribbean but i think you know who cares what I think, you know? It's it's objectively true that, that the mainstream audience would be more pumped about, you know, if Xbox had an exclusive, like, Black Panther video game or something like that. That would obviously be a lot more of a hype thing if Xbox was like, oh, yeah, 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 the Coalition's working on a Black Panther video game. There'd definitely be a lot more enthusiasm for something like that than, like, oh, Rare is working on some pirate DLC that has Pirates of the Caribbean in it. So it's just about, you know, that level of shit that, that Sony's got, you know, with Spider-Man and KOTOR being able to really leverage the biggest IP that Disney had, you know, Star Wars, Spider-Man, that kind of thing. And and I guess that's kind of what I was trying to get at. But I did, in, in, in arguing that Xbox needed some more, like, big, big tier stuff like that, like, they needed a Star Wars, they needed an X-Men game or something like that. And I almost just made it seem like... um Xbox is doing nothing at all in that in that department when in fact they are they are doing something they're just I still I'd like to see them be a little more you know aggressive but whatever so that is the other little correction thing I want to do to hold myself accountable a bit now aside from that before we jump into the comments I do have a reminder and then one more thing I want to address remember next week on September 30th which is next Thursday the day the show goes live Xbox has a Tokyo Game Show presentation now, if this is anything like the last time they were at TGS, it will be very minor. They mostly just talked about Flight Simulator and stupid shit like that. So it shouldn't be something we'd have to delay the show to accommodate, but they are teasing something special at the show. So I don't know if that's something special by way of the Japanese market or something special in general. So it's kind of hard to say because it's like, well, what if Xbox is like announcing, hey, we bought Capcom or hey, we bought Sega or something like that. That's huge fucking news. But what if they announce something like, uh, something like, oh, 
uh, Top Gun Mavericks DLC is going to be uh, is going to come with exclusive content for the Japanese market. It's like, well, we don't give a shit about that. So let me know if you guys want to delay the show. I, I don't think we need to delay the show. I don't want to take that chance. Although there are a lot of murmurings these days that there's another big acquisition in the works ready to be announced soon as we just eclipse the one-year anniversary of when Microsoft acquired Bethesda. So it's it's a possibility. So just want to put that out there. Keep that on your radar. Next Thursday, September 30th, the Xbox Tokyo Game Show, which is, of course, happening in Tokyo. or Well, actually, it's happening digitally, so the event happens in Tokyo, but the, everything happens over the internet these days, whatever. And then the last thing I want to mention before we jump into the comments in the proper run of show is... um. The Microsoft Surface event that happened today, Wednesday, the day I'm recording this podcast. Now, this is a weird thing for me because I've been a big fan of just Microsoft's various brands for a long time. Xbox and Surface and back in the day, Windows Phone and Lumia and all these things. And it's been weird these past few years starting to see these different elements of Microsoft kind of cross-pollinate because I don't know it's like anyone who's been like into like the Microsoft the various Microsoft corners for a long time knows that for the longest time it was like Xbox was very separate from Windows which is very you know Microsoft wasn't even involved in hardware really for the most part and other than like computer accessories and just everything in Microsoft felt very foreign and individual independent of one another and then during the Steve Ballmer era in the in the Windows phone era there was a big like force coming from within the company to try and make the things mesh together to try and make surface and xbox all one in the same to make people be like oh yeah i'm a i'm a microsoft brand stan kind of the way a lot of people out there are like blind apple fanboys who are like oh if it's got an apple logo it's the greatest thing that ever happened and i'm there and i'm buying it now microsoft never really was able to garner that kind of consumer appeal, save for rare exception with like idiots like myself. But it, it was just a very forced thing from that like Windows 8 kind of era. And then that, you know, they let that go during the early Satya Nadella years. It seemed like kind of like back to the normal where Microsoft's focusing on Azure and Teams and Office and all this boring business ship kind of back to their old ways. Surface is kind of happening in one corner and then Xbox is happening in one corner. But now we're seeing at this time where Surface as a brand has been around now about a decade, almost a decade. 2012 will be uh, 10 years of Surface or sorry, 2022 will be 10 years of Surface. And a lot of people expected Surface to kind of come and go and just be a, a thing. But it's not uh, uh, contrary to the belief. Microsoft's Surface brand has kind of stood the test of time. It has not gone the way of the Zune media player. It's not gone the way of the Windows phone. It is a thing that's proven itself, and it's here to stay. And Xbox has only gotten stronger and stronger as a brand. The older it gets and the more, you know, gamers start to... Think, think about it. Think about like the 10-year-olds that grew up playing Halo 1 in the early 2000s. Those guys are now like approaching their 30s. Hi, I'm one of them. And these people have a lifelong experience playing Xbox, and they're loyal to that brand. And what we're seeing is Microsoft is starting to naturally grow this thing that they were trying to force feed uh, about a decade or, or maybe like six, year, six years to a decade ago. And so it's kind of, we're, we're in this weird convergence time where Everyone's high on Xbox, and Phil Spencer is a great figurehead that really represents Xbox well. And uh, Panos Panay is the Surface guy, and if you're not very familiar with Surface, he's like the Phil Spencer to Surface, although he's kind of also like the father of Surface, so this is like really his baby. And he's a really 
highly regarded, easy to kind of one of those names, you know, that that's just everyone knows him, everyone likes him, and he represents Surface so well, even though he he's gone on to play a much bigger role at Microsoft in recent years. And it's just kind of this weird thing where now we're starting to see the brands cross-pollinate, where Windows 11's coming out, it's a big deal, and everyone also knows what Surface is, and it's not like this stupid little iPad, MacBook knockoff thing that people think will come and go, and Xbox is kind of this thing that people are like, you know, Xbox has been around 20 years, it's like a serious brand, you know, whether it's whether it's first or second compared to PlayStation, it doesn't matter, it's like Xbox is clearly here to stay, and it has its value with Game Pass, and with the most powerful console ever made, and, you know, being the thing that brought online gaming to the market the way we know it today and it's just it's just weird to see this world where all these elements are mature somewhat respected and aware of one another and that's kind of an obnoxious you know way to lead into me just saying like hey they they announced new computers today but I just find it weird that you know I every time a new surface event happens me along with the other weird Microsoft fanboys in, in the weird corners of the internet get all pumped about finding out how thin the bezels are on the new Surface Pro tablet or whatever, but it, it's, it's interesting to see them mention Xbox so much and to be like, hey, here's the new Surface computer. It's like really ideal for playing Xbox on your computer and like here's the new Surface phone and hey, like xCloud runs great on this thing. Like it's there's really no better device to play your Xbox games on the go using. And it's like, it's, I, I don't know, it's odd just seeing a more natural and kind of uh, organically grown synergy if you will and I just I it it's just gotten to a point where like I don't know today on my Twitter feed I saw a lot of Xbox people talking about surface and over the past year as you know the series X and everything's come out I've noticed a lot of like the Microsoft people I follow who are like surface people and Windows people and shit I've noticed a lot of them starting to talk more and more about Xbox and more and more about X cloud and all these things and it's just it's cool, actually. It's just really cool to see these kinds of things that are inherently related because they're all from the same parent company just start to kind of cross-pollinate and be one in the same to some extent. And I don't know. I feel like we got a really good look at what that means today. You know, they announced a bunch of new Surface products, but that new Surface Laptop Studio, which is like just the fucking coolest little laptop in the world, is such a great device for playing Xbox games. It's powerful. It can run game. It's not a... It's not, I wouldn't call it a gaming PC necessarily, but it's a pretty powerful device that could run games decently, obviously great for xCloud, and with its various postures and its entertainment modes, it is very ideal for playing Xbox on this device, and the new Surface phone, the Surface Duo 2, is, you know, they're starting to really invest more and more in that product, and that's just really an ideal way to play Xbox, and when you think about what we talk about on this podcast, it's very focused on Xbox, about, well, and Taco Bell, uh, about how, like, oh, wow, you know xCloud, now you can play Xbox here, now you can play Xbox there. It's cool to see other branches, other tendrils of the Microsoft family kind of back up these claims that we say here about the Xbox, saying, you know, hey, man, now there's a phone, you know, you can play Xbox on any phone if you want to, but now there's a specific phone from Microsoft that really embraces Xbox. Hey, man, you can play video games on any laptop or computer, whether, you know, you play it locally or through xCloud, but now there are some computers that just play it better than others, and those are all coming from Microsoft. And it's cool to see Microsoft not only be like, yeah, that's yeah, you can play Xbox on our computer, but also to embrace it. And I, I don't know. So I just... Just want to give a shout out. Today's one of those days where, you know, just because of the hype of these new Surface products, I'm definitely in more of a Surface mood right now uh, than I am an Xbox mood. I'm just really hyped on particularly the Duo 2 as I, I am a big 
I want Microsoft in my pocket again, kind of fanboy. So, but it's it's exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to personally, you know, getting my new Surface Duo two and being like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna play Minecraft Dungeons on my lunch break because fuck it, X Cloud. And I, I'm really starting to drink that Kool Aid, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. A little more where I'm like, yeah, I I see the use case and the potential here to think about my Xbox in more ways than just the thing I play while I sit on my couch. Anyway, so check out that. Lots of cool products, lots of cool stuff happening over there if you're interested, but just want to make that note. Love love seeing that synergy from the perspective of a fanboy. Now, with that out of the way, guys, we got some comments. You know how this works. You go to youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Hey, that's my channel. Hit subscribe. Let's get to a thousand. You leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. You can say something nice like Jesse. I also love the Surface products. I think Surface devices are fun to use and good to look at. Sometimes at night, my mom walks in on me looking at new Surface products that are very expensive on my phone, and I get embarrassed and I blush. And then she says, what were you looking at? And I say, uh, probably just naked pictures. And then I'll be like, that's a weird comment, but here we go. Let's read it. You could also say something mean like, Jesse, don't you know Apple is the best and anything that's not Apple is dumb. Also, you're dumb. Also, why spend so much money on a very expensive computer when you could just buy this very specific thing that I like? Why would you have your own opinion and like your own thing when you could just like the thing that I like? And I'll be like, well, that's a really fucking uh, closed-minded thing to say, but fuck it. I need, I need to fill airtime. Let's read your comment. But uh, that's not what most of you guys comment on. Speaking on speaking of mean comments, our first comment here comes from one Mr. EA's King 117, who says, Lethal Migraine, stop being mean. All right, next we got an update on our Taco Bell Australia food menu thing from last week. Jay wrote in about it, saying that, you know, he's got a new Taco Bell that's opening up. It should be open in just a few days now. Uh, at the time we're recording this, uh, but Jay did follow up after we went over some of the Australian Taco Bell menu items and said, just wanted to say thank you for the incredibly informative overview of Taco Bell's Australian menu. Not only did you give me a good idea of what I will order, cheesy double-decker taco, of course, because I don't want my wife to point at me and laugh and possibly start sleeping with other men, the Crunchwrap Supreme with chicken and the Chocadilla. Not only did you help me <laughs> decide what to order on my first Taco Bell visit, but you also gave me a number of solid laughs. Yeah, we generally call for chips here in Australia, unless we're ordering at McDonald's because Australian culture is what happens when the US and the UK cultures have sex and produce a child. And by the way, calling an Australian a dingo is not offensive at all. Thanks heaps again. We'll, <laughs> we'll let you know how it goes after my first visit. Well, thank you, Jay. I appreciate the response. You goddamn dingo. And please do let us know. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on the cheesy double-decker taco, which uh, translating that to American English, uh, we know that as the cheesy gordita crunch. Now, next up, I got a little bit of Xbox alternative history to throw your way. Mr. Miggy writes in and says, I kind of wish that the $7.5 billion would have been used initially on Insomniac. Now, $7.5 billion, of course, referring to the amount Microsoft spent on the Bethesda acquisition last year. And you're saying you wish they used that money or at least some of that money on the purchase of Insomniac, who Sony famously purchased two years ago. You also say between Call of Duty Cold War and Modern Warfare 2019, I prefer Modern Warfare's multiplayer over Cold War. It gets super competitive and it feels like it's well balanced. Well, couldn't disagree with you more, Mr. Miggy, but teaches them. You also say that Cold War has more fun game modes like Outbreak and Prop Hunt, but yes, you would take you would go with me on a shake date. Love milkshakes so much that one of my cats is named Milkshakes. 
That is fucking awesome. Now, I like this first idea of what if my this alternate history, what if Microsoft bought Insomniac? Now, let's let's clear the air here real quick. Sony bought Insomniac two years ago, two and a half years ago, whatever it was, for basically, it was like $275 million or something like that. It was like around a quarter of a billion dollars. And that is an extremely, extremely good price for Insomniac. Microsoft bought Bethesda last year for $7.5 billion. I think it was like $7 billion. Maybe it was $7.5. I don't know. Billion dollars, which is an absurd amount of money. It is way more than Bethesda's worth, and it is way more than uh, Microsoft Microsoft should be spending. But I think those two facts in and of themselves tell you everything you need to know. Sony is a very conservative company that is very much um, dependent on the PlayStation brand because that's their bread and butter. Outside of PlayStation, Sony has... Their phones, which do all right in Europe and Asia, they don't do really well in North America, which is weird because Sony makes really fucking awesome Android phones. But, you know, that's whatever. That's a small part of their business. They, they're they really not in the laptop market the way they used to be with, like, the Vio and all that. So that's not really a big thing for them anymore. They do TVs, which is a – I think that's, like, the second most sizable part of their market. But, you know, that's that's just one consumer product, which is, you know, it's quite successful for them, but – when you compare it to what Microsoft does, it's like that's nothing. And then outside of that, you know, they have like Columbia Pictures and their record label and all that stuff, which more or less are hemorrhaging money these days. It seems like nothing that comes out of Hollywood is is doing that well these days anyway. But yeah, Sony, for the most part, Sony isn't making that sexy hand over fist money when you look at the various markets or businesses that they that they're in except for PlayStation. PlayStation is so incredibly successful. It is it is the majority of what keeps that company like running, but it, they they don't have the capital. When you look at everything they do, they don't have the capital to be going around throwing billions of dollars on studio acquisitions. It's just it's just irresponsible for them to be doing stuff like that. So what they paid for Insomniac was incredibly modest. Like Insomniac was definitely worth more. I think if you tried to sell Insomniac today, considering everything they put out in the past few years with Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank and all that stuff, I think they're definitely worth closer to a billion dollars for sure. I think Sony probably got them for at least half a billion less than they're actually worth. So it was a great deal for Sony, but Sony's been trying to buy Insomniac on and off for many, many years because they've had a long-standing relationship. This is a perfect example of you know Sony making very wise, very meticulous, very long-term, long-thought-out kind of decisions and their acquisitions, whereas you look at Microsoft, and $7 billion for Bethesda tells you one thing and one thing only. It tells you one or sorry, it tells you one thing, and here's the two sides of it. One, Microsoft makes way more money than any company really fucking would ever need in any justifiable way. And two, Bethesda wasn't for sale, which is why they were sold for so much money. Microsoft has fuck you money because Xbox is successful. It makes money. It's not as successful as PlayStation, but it makes money, and it's good. But Microsoft could write off Xbox tomorrow, and it wouldn't matter at all. They could write off Surface tomorrow and it wouldn't even matter because all that matters is all the fucking money they make off Windows licenses and Office 365 subscriptions, Azure cloud services and contracts with various corporations and the U.S. government and all these places because that's where Microsoft makes their money. They have so much wealth. They could buy half the fucking world and just enslave humanity because they are that powerful. They're that rich. And famously, <laughs> Microsoft reported um, the quarter after they bought Bethesda, after the acquisition was finalized, that they made all that seven, $7 billion uh, back from the purchase of Bethesda. They made all of that and more back within the next fiscal quarter. 
They're just they're just that profitable. So to Microsoft, what what we're seeing here with Bethesda is they were able to just go up to Bethesda and be like, "Hey, we want to buy you." And Bethesda's like, "That's great. We're not for sale." And then Microsoft's like, "I don't think you understand. We want to buy you." And they're like, "Okay, well, we're not for sale." And they're like, "I don't think you understand." Name your fucking price. We're going to buy you. And so that's kind of what happened here with Bethesda. Because honestly, personally, with everything Bethesda owns, IP, all the studios involved, they're they're worth maybe 30% of what Microsoft paid. 30, 40% of what Microsoft paid. Microsoft pulled that. We want you and we want you now. Here's the amount of money it's going to require to make you just shut up. Not think twice about it. Say yes. Sign the papers. Let's make this happen. And that's what that $7 billion is a result of. It is a result of, we want you. We have too much money for you to say no. This is done. It's happening. And so, cool. Microsoft can afford to be that company. They can afford to do that. That's great for them. But Sony wouldn't have ever been able to pull something like that. And they 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 just can't afford to play that way. So it's not really, you know, they're not... They're the that those are the two biggest acquisitions both teams had in recent history for for sure in uh, PlayStation with Insomniac and Microsoft with Bethesda, but they're not one to one at all because you look at Bethesda and you're getting a shit ton of developers, a shit ton of IP. You know, you're getting Elder Scrolls, you're getting Fallout, you're getting Wolfenstein, you're getting Doom, you're getting Prey, you're getting all this IP along with all of these studios and all of this shit with Bethesda. Whereas Sony with with Insomniac, you're just getting talent. Sony Sony already owned Ratchet and Clank. Sony famously doesn't work with developers unless they can own the IP. So Ratchet and Clank was an IP Sony already owned. Resistance, Fall of Man, Sony owns that IP. The only thing they bought was Insomniac, the studio, the team. Because what does Insomniac make now? Well, they make Marvel games. They don't own Marvel. Disney owns Marvel. So they're not getting that IP. They get to work with that IP through lots and lots of money that goes to Disney at the end of the day. But at the end, like, Sony acquired the talent and the culture of Insomniac. Nothing more. So, yes, they're technically getting a lot less for a lot less money. But if Microsoft, if, if the tables had turned, Sony would not have been able to afford Bethesda. And Microsoft would not have had to pay nearly that much money to get Insomniac. So I think that much is clear. Now, with that in perspective, it is cool to think, well, what if, you know, Microsoft just saved that money and, or used that to buy other studios, but they did get Insomniac. That'd be fucking awesome. Imagine a world where, I, I don't know, maybe Spider-Man doesn't happen just because Sony, there's so, many, there's so much like Spider-Man favoritism with Sony due to the movies having their picture rights with Sony. <clears throat> but like, what if, what if Microsoft did buy Insomniac and instead of Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, we got Sunset Overdrive 2 for Xbox Series X and Wolverine was in development, but it was in development for Xbox. Like, yeah, it'd be fucking awesome, dude. Insomniac, that would have been one of the coolest moves they could have made because they would have got one of the best developers in the industry. They would have got tons of cool games out of them, really high quality content in a really decent amount of time because it's apparently Insomniac can put out games in record-breaking time, and it would have been a massive middle finger to Sony, because it would have been like, we're taking this long-standing second-party partner of yours that you've been working with basically since the beginning of your existence, we're just going to take him and buy him. Fuck you. <laughs> that that would have been a good one. But yeah, I, I dude, trust me, I know. Like, Microsoft's made some great acquisitions over the years. Bethesda, Double Fine, Obsidian, all these guys in recent years. And, and don't get me wrong, like, it's cool to see all those teams join the Xbox family. Personally, I would trade it all if we got Insomniac and Sega. 
That would be so cool if Microsoft was just like, yeah, yeah, our big brands are the guys that make Halo, the guys that make Gears, the guys that make Forza. We got the guys that make uh, Sunset Overdrive, and we got the guys that make Sonic the Hedgehog. I'd be like, uh, Xbox is objectively the coolest console, and everyone who disagrees is now going to be uh, uh, gassed to death. So uh, please do not open a window in your home tonight. Just turn on your air vents, and and, and uh, I'll, I'll be sending a little something special your way. So, wow, that's really not fun for an Aryan boy to be making uh, gas jokes like that, but okay. Um, but yeah, that was, that's a fun comment. I like I like that alternate what if kind of scenario. Personally, I'm not I'm not really crazy about this whole like I want everyone to buy everyone else thing. The consolidation of the industry. Some of them are exciting. Some of them are cool. Some of them are a little like that's too much. You know. I think Microsoft has been going too hard, but at the same time, it's just we get it. It's for Game Pass. It's not because they want just the Xbox console alone to have too many games to keep up with. I don't know. Generally, I try not to get too pro one side or another about buying up all the talent in the industry but at the same time it, it's undoubtedly like the coolest conversation we have going on in recent history uh next up bird dog bear dog bird dog writes in about the playstation event from last week saying so i really want to know if xbox will come out with something that absolutely wows us i'm excited for halo and all but i'm really jealous about kotor going to playstation first we need something to get those Sony users envious of Xbox. And by the way, what is the song at the end of this podcast? It's catchy, and it's tune is stuck in my head. Thanks. Oh, Taco Bell is great. I'm just stuck with Taco John's where I live. Their meat is like mush and has no flavor. You're always making me crave food, dang it. All right. What the fuck is Taco John's? I've literally never heard of this, and I'm starting to think you're a bot just because you said this. I'm actually looking this up right now. What is Taco John's? Taco John's is actually fast food Mexican restaurant. You're not you're not making this up. It is real. It unfortunately exists. Holy fucking shit. Taco John's. It looks kind of like Moe's, actually. It looks pretty much exactly like Moe's when I look it up. Why is this happening? Why did you tell me this? Taco John's is not operating in the state of Florida. Therefore, they don't exist. Although they do have four locations in Tennessee. So, I mean, I, I've been to Tennessee a billion times. Oh, they're not like in Tennessee, Tennessee. They're like out there. All right, Taco John's. Wow, my life just got worse because I learned about these guys. Thank you. Thanks for letting me know. But uh, no, all joking aside, the music at the end of the show, by the way, if you're hearing kick-ass, like, post-hardcore emo music, that's all from listener Count Scoutula. Count Scoutula. That's his old band, Corbel, from uh, his youth. They're fucking awesome, and I play their music often at the end of the show. If you're hearing, like, that lo-fi hip-hop stuff at the end of the show, that is from my friend Eric. He does all that lo-fi music himself under the name BB Murder Case, and he is on SoundCloud, so you can look up BB Murder Case on SoundCloud or YouTube, and you should be able to find him there. So uh, I'm not sure what specific song you're referring to, but that is where you'll find one of the each of the two artists that I play at the end of the show. Now, as for your main question here, I, I get it. So that's the thing is like, I think Xbox does have the game that wows us and makes PlayStation gamers jealous. It's called Starfield, right? Imagine being on PlayStation. Ima so imagine this. The Xbox 360 generation is a generation where a lot of, you know, a lot of people were like, whatever, I'll, I'll play whatever console. A lot of people had Xbox, played Xbox. Then PS4 came out and they're like, buy Xbox and they got PS4 and now they're locked into PlayStation because because they had PlayStation 4 during the generation of digitally downloading your games and building your online profile and presence and everything. And now they're like, fuck, I'm locked into PlayStation because I spent all my money and did all my things on PS4. Think about that gamer who loved Skyrim on the Xbox 360, but now he's deep in with the PlayStation brand, can't get away from it, and just found out Starfield and The Elder Scrolls 6 are only on Xbox. Fuck you, PlayStation. That, that's arguably worse than... Court I think that is worse than KOTOR because Xbox is assumedly at least going to get KOTOR at some point a year or so out. 
hopefully that's the case. You know, I, as I said last week, there is always the possibility that we don't get it just because all these quote-unquote timed exclusives to PlayStation keep just mysteriously staying exclusive to PlayStation, whereas everything's, every time something is timed exclusive to Xbox, like clockwork, it comes to PlayStation 12 months later to the day. So I don't know what to make of that. I, I'm more hopeful and more certain that KOTOR does make its way to Xbox after a year than I am doubtful of that. But I, I think we already have that with stuff like, uh, like Elder Scrolls and Starfield. Uh, Bethesda in particular is going to give you that. And I think this fall... In particular, this holiday, when we're all playing Halo Infinite and loving the hell out of it, PlayStation fans are going to be pretty jealous because they're going to be like, well, we got Horizon coming out in a few months, and oh boy, sure was cool 12 months ago when they remade Demon's so Demons Possessive Souls for PlayStation 5. Yep, that sure was a joy playing that game for the second time on the new console. So, yeah, I, I think we have it. I, I don't know. Just be, It doesn't always need to be a tick-for-tack, one-for-one kind of deal, right? Like, PlayStation gamers can be jealous of us because Xbox has got all the good FPSs. Like, when it comes to shooters, Xbox is the place to be. I don't care where the DLC Call of Duty bullshit exclusive stuff is. With PlayStation, clearly Xbox is the platform for FPS. PlayStation is the platform for, like, oh, another game that would probably be better as a movie, but here it is, an 18-hour interactive story. Those games are great. Sony has them in spades, and Xbox desperately needs one or two. But, you know, they each have their strengths and weaknesses, but I, I would just argue that, especially right now, Xbox is in a position where they definitely have games PlayStation fans are jealous about. But, yes, that KOTOR one is a big old... And apparently, another thing, I didn't talk about this last week on the show because I found out later, but apparently there's a, there's a report going around that Xbox was in talks to get KOTOR on Xbox. The reason why it went to PlayStation is because Xbox just wasn't aggressive enough about bidding for it and trying to get it. Now, that is something I heard from Mr. Matty Plays on YouTube, and that was that. that is something that blows my fucking mind, if that is true, which is that <laughs> Xbox apparently could have had KOTOR. It could have been Xbox timed exclusive, or at the very least, just multi-platform day one. But instead, it went to PlayStation, and now PlayStation's helping fund that game, and that's the part that makes me really nervous that we might not actually get it, but we'll see. El Pardon, El, sorry, El Pardo writes in and says, I like your take on Sony and Microsoft reveals. I overall prefer what Microsoft has released and revealed, but if you compare it to Sony's show, to the Xbox E3 show, there's no need for an hour-long show with all the talking in between, particularly when you had the follow-up show with the deep dive anyway to do all the detailed stuff. Exactly. Do all the boring talking, corporate bullshit, and statistics during that stuff, and then during the show, just show us the games. You also say, like I say, overall, I prefer Microsoft's offerings. Forza Horizon 5 and Halo will keep me plenty busy until Elden Ring and Stalker 2 next year. But I do feel like we are missing out on an exclusive Marvel or Star Wars game as Disney appears to be giving out IP like candy. My only thought is that they can't agree on a fee as it will be tied to Game Pass. You know what? That is a good point. It could have something to do with Game Pass because whatever... That's actually a great point. Well, we the thing is, we know Indy's going to be in Game Pass because it's an Xbox game. So to some extent, it can happen. But that is a good point, especially when it comes to the Marvel stuff because even though Star Wars is huge and it's probably bigger than Marvel in the long run, right now, during the current cultural zeitgeist, Marvel is the big thing. Marvel is the thing that consistently delivers. You don't hear every day... Marvel fans watch, you know, every single day of the year, there's a new Star Wars show or movie. There's also a new Marvel show or movie. And every day I go online and I just see Star Wars fans are bitching about something. But I never see that from Marvel fans. Marvel fans are always pleasantly surprised. It's always like, how the fuck did they make a show parodying old American sitcoms about Wanda 
incredibly engaging. How the fuck did they pull that off? How did they take Shang-Chi, this character no one's ever fucking heard about except like deep cut comic book fans, and make it an incredibly compelling movie? Like how did they do it? How do they keep consistently doing it? And so right now Marvel's the big brand. Marvel's the brand you want to get in bed with. And and Disney knows that. They know if we're going to give you a Marvel character, a Marvel property to work with, it's going to be fucking huge. And so with that, I feel like there's this there's this pressure. They're like, "Hey, well, whatever we do, we want to make sure it sells shitloads of copies." So maybe Game Pass is a huge factor in that because anything that's console exclusive on Xbox isn't going to sell shit tons of copies because people are going to play through Game Pass. So that that is a that is a fair point, although I don't think it is entirely, you know, the case just because, you know, you got things like Indiana Jones coming. So clearly that's not always the rule. But again, I, I seven seven billion dollars for for Bethesda. I don't think, you know, if Microsoft really wanted to, they could open their wallets a little bit wider and make a Marvel game happen. I don't think money is the issue when you're talking about two of the fattest cats in the world, which are Microsoft and Disney. It just doesn't, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a story that, you know, that falls on deaf ears where it's like, oh, Microsoft doesn't want to pony up for Marvel. It's like, fuck off, dude. Literally just go buy another country and like cry about it there or something. Like, what do you fucking want to do? Like, just, just put up the money. Give us a goddamn, well, now we don't want X-Men because they got, they got Wolverine. Give us some, Black Panther is the one that keeps coming to mind because it's like Black Panther is that thing where like, kind of like Shang-Chi, it's like no one really knew about Black Panther. Like people will lie all day long about how, oh, I grew up listening, listening, uh, reading Black Panther comics. It's like, no, you fucking didn't. You didn't. Same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, no, you did not read Guardians of the Galaxy growing up. You absolutely did not. 99% of you did not fucking know who Guardians of the Galaxy were, did not know who Black Panther were, uh, was until the movie came out. Like, and, and now those brands are fucking massive. They're some of the biggest brands in the world. You know, Black Panther today is, is like as big, if not bigger, than fucking Spider-Man was 10 years ago. It's fucking crazy. Everything Marvel has just blown up exponentially. And you need it. You just, it, the, ti- the time is now, you need it. There's no time to wait. Although, honestly, I feel like, I feel like Arcane or someone could do like a Deadpool game. I don't know what, like, yeah, I feel like Arcane or Machine Games really could have done Deadpool. You know, like a, like a really like R-rated Marvel game. Whatever. You also say my first time commenting. I've been, I have to admit, living in the UK, I've never been to a Taco Bell. I found out one of the few UK locations near my office. Then COVID happened and I never got to try it. Well, Forget everything I read from you. Uh, you are officially banned from the show. My brother writes in and says, The PlayStation show is mediocre at best. I don't care if they had good pacing. I don't buy a console because they have a quick and clean show. I buy the console for the games. They showed one game I'm interested in, and it was better on PC. It was a pathetic show. You try way too hard to be fair to the competition. They don't have games. That's what matters. That's funny because for the longest time, the story was PlayStation has the games. Xbox don't. So... You know what, brother? That's fine. Agree to disagree. Yeah, sometimes I think I'm a little too soft on PlayStation. Here's why. I own a PS4, but I don't play PlayStation every day. I'm not... I'm not sniffing Sony's butt. I don't love PlayStation as a brand. I don't love Sony as a company. I'm not constantly like, Sony, 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 PlayStation, PlayStation. So it's so easy for me to own a PlayStation, play it when I see fit. You know, oh, there's a new Uncharted game. There's a new Spider-Man game. I'll play that. Bye, PlayStation. See you next time. You give me a reason to come back. So uh, since I'm a very fair-weather PlayStation fan, it's so easy for me to sit back and be like, 
you know, they're just doing great over there. Good for the competition. Because I'm hyper-focused on Xbox. So it's really easy for me as a big Xbox fan to be like, I love Xbox. I'm so invested in Xbox. I follow the news every day. I play the console all the fucking time. And these are the reasons why I think they, they could do better. These are the reasons I want them to be better. These are the areas in which they're lacking. It's so easy to be critical of Microsoft because... I love Microsoft and I follow them ridiculously close and I follow Xbox to the, you know, the nitty gritty details. And so it's easier for me to nitpick and find, you know, more room to criticize because I stand more to gain from being critical of Microsoft and trying to see them get better, trying to see Xbox get better. Uh, if PlayStation gets better or worse, it's like, I, I don't really care. You know, I bought a PlayStation 4. I had a good time with God of War 2018. I'm done with that thing. You know, I'll buy a PS5 at some point to play Wolverine and Spider-Man 2, but um, really don't care about it otherwise. So it's just easier for me to give a lot of credit to someone I'm less emotionally involved with, if that makes sense, right? I'm, I'm just a parent who's hard on my kids. Corey Long writes in. Now we're, we're kicking off a, a whole slew of food and beverage related comments. Corey Long says, I have the ability to watch developer shows and premieres, but I always wait to hear your coverage of it. It cuts out all the egregious trash I would otherwise have to sit through. Thank you for taking so much time out to cover these. Also, what do you think about mozzarella sticks? Personally, I do not like cheese much, but my expectation, but my exception is Arby's mozzarella sticks. The outside is crispy and the inside is good. Real damn good when it's fresh. Well, Corey, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much. First of all, Second of all, mozzarella sticks are awesome, but mozzarella sticks I categorize with like chicken wings or it's one of those things where it's like more often than not, the idea of a mozzarella stick sounds fantastic. It's like, I want that, but it's so easy to overdo it with mozzarella sticks. Now, chicken wings are much better than mozzarella sticks. I'm more likely to be craving chicken chicken wings and I can eat more chicken wings before I get sick than I can mozzarella sticks, but they're, they're kind of similar in like you want it until you have it, and then you realize, like, oof, I can only eat so many of these things before it's, like, time to time to end it all, right? Uh, Arby's mozzarella sticks are actually really good. That's, that's a good callback. See, this is what I'm talking about. People be shitting on Arby's, giving them a hard time. They're such a meme of a fast food restaurant. So fun to make fun of. Oh, roast beef. That's, oh, what even is that? What animal did that come from? That's not even real meat. Oh, Arby's is so gross. I like Chick-fil-A because I'm a basic bitch. It's like, listen, man, Arby's is good. Their mozzarella sticks are dank. And you know, you want to know when Arby's used to be real good? Is until about three years ago, they had Pepsi as their official beverage sponsor. So it was a Pepsi product restaurant, which is great, well and good. But they had Mountain Dew Game Fuel on tap. Mountain Dew was all, oh, we got Baja Blast. And Arby's was like, oh, I'll do you one better. They put Mountain Dew Game Fuel on tap. I'm, I'm sorry, but Mountain Dew Game Fuel is way better than Baja Blast. It just is. Baja Blast, great flavor of soda. I think it's pretty overrated. People act like it's the best Mountain Dew flavor. It is not. It is definitely top 10, but it is not the best Mountain Dew flavor. M Mountain Dew Game Fuel, that's top five. That's top five for sure. And Arby's used to have it on tap, and that was when God was real. Um, you might remember Windows Phone was a thing back in those days. You might remember... Um, there was no such thing as COVID back in those days. So, I mean, I can't, the list goes on and on, but I, I just find it at some point it's like, okay, how many coincidences can you have before there's obviously a direct correlation? And I think in the instance of game fuel being available at Arby's, you can make a pretty convincing argument that 
that soda being available at that restaurant had a lot to do with the world being in order and things being right and just overall less chaos, less terrorism, less hatred um, just going on in the world. But that's just me. Also, Arby's has great chicken sandwiches. They have a couple. They have a chicken cordon bleu and they have like a chicken, bacon, uh, honey mustard, whatever fucking sauce sandwich. And it's so good. And their curly fries are really good. And the French dip is, is fine. They have really cheap sliders, which are really, really good. They have good milkshakes. Arby's is good. And if, and if you want to fight me on this, sorry, Corey, you brought up cheese sticks and I turned, I turned it into an Arby's rant. Just here to defend Arby's and Mountain Dew Game Fuel, the best Mountain Dew flavor that they just don't fucking make every... Dude, they make like 20 flavors of Mountain Dew every goddamn year. And 19 of the 20 usually suck. Like the new Voodoo sucks. That fucking Frostbite flavor sucks. The new Apple flavor apparently sucks. We'll get into that in a minute. Just bring back Game Fuel. It used to be like clockwork. Every fucking November or October around the big game release months of the year you'd put out game fuel you tie it in with forza or call of duty or halo with xbox or something you just be like oh it's game fuel season here you go and everyone would be happy and remember back in those days there was no covid there was no fucking famine there was no uh what else uh, happened this bad windows phone was available back in those days it's just one of those things we can drum up all the coincidences and try to say there's no correlation but at what point are you just making excuses again bring back game fuel go eat at arby's Cheese sticks are awesome, Corey. Cheese sticks are great. You know I'm a big TGI guys, T- T- TGI guy, and TGI has some of the most iconic. They have fucking rectangular cheese sticks, mozzarella sticks. So of course I like the mozzarella stick, and you should too. Wes H writes in and says number one, IBC. Number two, A and W. Number three, Bart's. Number four, Stewart's, and number five, Mug. Okay, first of all, if you haven't caught on yet, we're ranking we're ranking root beer flavors. Second of all, what the fuck is Stewart's root beer, and why the hell did you rank it? Well, actually, I don't mind where you ranked it. I disagree. IBC root beer is phenomenal. It deserves to be high up there, but Barks is probably Barks root beer is number one. That is like the one Coke product I will defend to the end of the earth. Barks root beer is really fucking good. You also say I haven't tried many other brands, but I love the stuff. IBC is definitely my top dog. IBC is great because the bottling and the logo is great. The soda is great. I prefer their cream soda to their root beer. Hot take. But uh, not a terrible ranking, but you got to try the Abita root beer, man. I'm just telling you. Headhunting Halo, who, as a reminder, is a male, is not a porn star, just was stuck on his wife's account and couldn't figure out how to change his name. This is not Megan. Remember, guys. Writes in and says, Jesse, just had the thrashed apple Mountain Dew flavor. Found it at my Kroger the other day. What the fuck are they doing? It's kind of annoying. Tastes like Apple Jolly Rancher. The past three Mountain Dew flavors don't even taste like Mountain Dew. What the fuck? What's next? We will find out in a month. Lol. Headhunting Halo. This is exactly what I was just getting at. Thank you for writing in about this. So, I lo- shout out to Kroger. Uh, many of you in the States here know what Kroger is. They are a regional grocery store. Their region is very weird. They're all over, like, the middle of the country and some of the southeast but not here in florida so i don't have kroger anymore and the weird thing is my girlfriend i've been noticing kroger is advertising like crazy here in central florida they have billboards we get ads in the paper like in, in our mailbox rather for kroger and i'm like what the fuck are they advertising they don't have a store here but it, it I, rest in peace kroger i miss having access to you i definitely took you for granted when i lived in georgia that was the probably the grocery store i shopped at the most growing up but yes Thrashed Apple, it is the apple sour apple flavored Mountain Dew, just came out, and it is exclusive to Kroger. So many of you will not be able to try it. 
if you live in a state like myself that doesn't have Kroger, so fuck us, right? I need to buy one of these things on eBay to add to my collection, but I'm inherently against like apple flavored things. Like I like apples, the fruit. I like apple pie. I'm not a big like apple flavored fan. Like I don't like candy flavored like apple. I don't like apple juice. I don't like this weird artificial apple thing. It's I feel the exact same way about apple that I feel about grape. It's like this is disgusting. This is a fruit that is good on its own, and then you make an artificial variant of it, and it sucks. Apple flavor blows. Real apple cider? Good. What the fuck are you doing, guys? I haven't even tried this flavor, obviously, as I just said. I don't have access to it, but I already know what you mean, Headhunting Halo. Yes. This is another one of those fucking Mountain Dew flavors. Sure, it tastes like a fun, fruity drink, whatever, but it misses the mark. It forgets what it means to be a Dew. I hate this. I hate this fucking new generation of Mountain Dew that thinks you can be whatever, you can just be whatever flavor you, you want to be and give yourself the Mountain Dew label. At what point is it just no longer Mountain Dew, but rather Fanta in disguise is what I want to know. That's what I want to know. Anyway, and you're right, we will find out in a month what the next flavor is, because they're just going to keep releasing new flavors just fucking constantly. Speaking of which, what happened to Flamin' Hot Dew? You guys sold out in two seconds and said you'd sell more. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. You also said, Headhunting Halo, you seemed confused about my comment last week regarding Dr. Pepper. They made a chocolate Dr. Pepper, cost about 30 bucks a can on eBay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have opened it, but oh well, can't stop thinking about Halo, man. We're getting so close. What color scheme do you pick? And also... Do you know any good couch co-op games besides It Takes Two? Have a good week, Jess. Five Layer Burrito sucks donkey ding-dongs. Okay, Five Layer Burrito is awesome, so you fuck right off. It's not my go-to on the Taco Bell menu, but it is fine. I'd get the quesarito over it, but that's just because I'm a man of great taste. Now, I did look up the chocolate Dr. Pepper. It was a weird, like, thing they did. It, you had to buy it from their website with, like, points you get from drinking Dr. Pepper. It, so it's basically an impossible to get flavor. I'm, I'm over it. Sure, it tastes like Dr. Pepper mixed with YooHoo. I'll believe you on that. I'm I'm over it now, okay? I, I'm, I'm becoming an old man. I'm getting to the point with soda where I'm like, fuck all the new flavors just for fun. Like, give me a classic Pepsi. Give me a classic Dew. Fuck off with the rest. Um, but... Yeah, man, we are getting close to Halo. We're going to play it this weekend. Twitch.tv slash Extreme. Follow me there. We'll talk all about it while we play together this weekend. Uh, but if I had to recommend you a couch co-op game, listen, this game is really charming and really cute, but it kind of put me to sleep because it's a little boring. But my girlfriend liked it a lot, and we played together for a little while. It is on Game Pass. It's called Fogs. It is two dogs attached to one body, kind of like cat dog, but instead of cat and dog, it's just two dogs. It's a really cute little whimsy, cartoony, like mellow teamwork platform game. It's on Game Pass. It's really fun. It's it, it, it's like it requires teamwork to get through it, but it's also like low stakes. Um, I'm just really bad at couch co-op and I get frustrated very easily. So I still made it more difficult than it needed to be. Um, so we don't play it anymore because I'll just be mean about it. But it's a fun game. If you have more patience than I do, which you probably do, I recommend giving it a try. It's a good idea. Now, Joe Murphy says new chicken taco sandwiches are so good. My whole family loves them. They are good. Fitting follow-up, by the way, Compassionate Choice LLC says, you killed my headphones this episode with all the nonsense, but hey, if suckers like me will stick around for three hours and keep up, keep the content coming. Absolutely, Compassionate Choice. Thank you. Eric Masson is going to round us out with a little bit of Halo versus Battlefield versus Call of Duty talk and says, I'm curious to know what you think about Battlefield's release day getting pushed much closer to Halo. Xbox was so careful to work Halo into a slot, giving it room to breathe between the competition of COD and Battlefield. Just for Battlefield, get pushed to less than three weeks before Halo's big day. Do you think this will affect engagement numbers for Infinite? P.S. Judge Dredd deserves a video game. Don't know what that means. Xbox should get on that shit. Have a gnarly day, Jesse. Thank you, Eric. So, I mean, we talked about this on last week's episode, so I won't get into it in too much detail, but you you did kind of twist it on its head because last week we talked about this more of like how 
Battlefield's delay affects Call of Duty and Battlefield and less how Battlefield's delay affects Halo. So this is a little bit of a different analysis, but I stand largely unchanged. Halo's not going to be impacted by this, largely. Because, again, if if anyone has anything to lose here, it is Battlefield. Because Call of Duty is Call of Duty. It could cost $200 for the game. It could be literally an unplayable mess. But as long as there are casual gamers in this world, it will sell billions of fucking copies. And we'll all, we will all look like dumbasses for doubting it. That's just Call of Duty. Nothing can get in its way. So that's that, regardless of release date. And then Halo Infinite would be, it would be a little more of a conversation if Halo Infinite were going to be a full $60 or $70 game that you need to pay in order to access multiplayer. But the fact of the matter is, the biggest thing about Halo is it's multiplayer, and that is free to play. So you tell me, what what's more likely going to happen? People are going to buy Battlefield at $70 right before Halo Infinite comes out and then not play Halo Infinite for free, or they're going to say, I was going to get Battlefield, but it's coming out like two weeks before Halo, and Halo is free to play. I'll just save my 70 bucks, wait a little bit, and play Halo instead. At this point, it feels like it's more likely Halo is going to hurt Battlefield than Battlefield is going to hurt Halo. So that's my take on it. I think Battlefield is the most vulnerable of these three games. That being said, all three games I think are going to be successful and do very well. But yes, if this delay affects anyone in any way negatively... It is Battlefield way more than it is Halo or Call of Duty. All right. Oh, and, and lastly, bonus question or comment. Joe Murphy says, and this is just a cool comment. Monday, I was watching your Twitch stream, but my six-year-old begged me to play Xbox instead. So I asked what game she wanted to play. he wanted to play, and he said, without a beat, the new Sonic Colors. So I had to say yes. We played Sonic Colors, and I was trying to watch your Twitch on my phone. So I got into helping my son with Sonic. My 10-year-old took my phone to watch your Twitch. So your kid wanted to play Sonic, you wanted to watch the stream, but then it ended up with you playing Sonic and him watching the stream. First of all, thank you so much for the support. I want to thank both of you for the support. It means the world to me that you guys would take the time out of your day to play Sonic Colors. That is a game that is very near and dear to my heart. I fucking love Sonic Colors. And anyone who's willing to support the game uh, is a good person, someone who definitely deserves very good parking space in heaven. Um, but also, joking aside, thank you for supporting the stream as well. Twitch.tv slash stream. Now, that's going to do for all of our comment shots and whatnot for this week. And remember, next week, don't be shy. Reply. Well, next we're going to jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about that, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. And let me tell you real quick and real fast, because this week hasn't been too cool. Real cool because Club Cool is back. Club Cool, 99.9% of you are saying, what the fuck is that and why should I care? Well, it's kind of relevant to everything in my life, because... Club Cool is, was a place in Epcot at Disney World. Well, before you turn it off, trust me, this is very Xbox related because it's soda related. Club Cool is this place sponsored by the Coca-Cola company at Epcot, Walt Disney World. That is a free attraction. You go into this air-conditioned room and they have soda fountains after soda fountain after soda fountain of, of various Coke products from all around the world. Because Epcot is a, is a theme park about celebrating world culture. So here is a... Coca-Cola made product from Argentina, and here's one from Thailand, and here's one from Russia, and here's one from fucking Denmark, and half of these I'm making up, but it's the idea is that you can be like, oh, well, here in America, we're used to Coke, Diet Coke, Sprite, Fanta, whatever. Oh, I didn't realize they had a plum-flavored soda in China, and the idea is you can try all these different sodas from all over the world, and it's really fun, it's really cool, it's really refreshing. If it's a hot Florida day, you get to go in here, enjoy some AC, and drink a bunch of cool sodas from around the world for free. It's free. You just grab a cup and help yourself. It's great. Well, Epcot's going to major, undergoing a major transformation right now. So Club Cool was demolished a few years back. 
but they promised in the new space they were going to rebuild Club Cool, reimagined for the 2020s, and they sure did. It opened this past week, and my girlfriend and I had to go check it out, pay our respects to the old Club Cool. And, well, I don't like it as much as the old one because it's thematically lamer because everything Disney does today is a lot less cool looking than it used to be. But more to that point, more important to that point, actually, the soda flavors are different. We got to talk about them. So traditionally, <coughs> typically, the cool, the really good flavor they had there was this flavor from Thailand called Fanta Frosty Melon. It was this green Fanta flavor that ta- that tasted like, like a light, refreshing, seltzery, but still sweet watermelon and it was so good and it was, it was like it was like cantaloupe with like honeydew with like watermelon it was like a mix of melon it was so good so so good and since they reopened club cool they changed all the flavors oh no i think the new flavors the new roundup of, of flavors is markedly worse than the old round of flavors there are some good ones the the newest strongest contender is this one from korea it is a minute made flavor called joy And it's like a lychee drink, but it's not even a soda. It's a still drink. So it's like a juice more than anything. Very good. Very fun. um, But not as good as Fanta Frosty Melon. And they got all this weird stuff. They got the Sprite from Russia that has cucumber in it. They got this uh, plum drink from China that tastes like barbecue sauce. Uh, They got this one from, um, where is it from? Dominican Republic or something. And it literally tastes like children's cough syrup. It's disgusting. It's, It's atrocious. And... I love that it still exists and that there's still a place you can go at Disney World and get a bunch of free sodas from around the world and enjoy some air conditioning on a hot Florida day. But why do we have to lose all the good flavors for all these bad flavors? Now, that's what I've been eating slash drinking, but I just had to pose that question to you. Uh, Now, while you think about that, I'm going to tell you about what I've been playing. I'm still chipping away at Psychonauts 2. Slow down that a bit because I had a busy weekend, but I'll get back to that probably tomorrow night on stream. And then this weekend, of course, we'll play the fuck out of Halo Infinite. But the other thing I've been playing and the thing I played more was the Call of Duty Vanguard beta. Now, this past weekend, it had the open beta where it was available available to all. I gotta be honest with you guys. Everyone in this gaming community is out here just shitting on Call of Duty, always hating on them for everything they do. But Call of Duty Vanguard, it's fine. It's fun. Now, you know me. There's the three tiers of Call of Duty. There's Treyarch, Sledgehammer, and Infinity Ward. I am not an Infinity Ward guy, save for their campaigns. I'm definitely a Treyarch guy because I like the Black Ops games a lot. But Sledgehammer is always like the ugly redhead stepchild, whatever, of the, of the family. Because their games almost always suck, and they're the newer one. But despite Call of Duty World War II, their last game, not being great, I gotta be honest, Vanguard is fun. I, I'm, I'm not of that mindset that, like, because it's World War II, it's dumb. I like the idea of there being a Call of Duty sub-series that does World War II. I think World War II is a fun setting. I think it is a cool setting to explore, a cool time period to explore for storytelling. Like, how fucking cool would it be if we just finally got, like, a World War II game where you play as the Germans or where you play as the Japanese and you tell a story from their perspective or you just tell a story about, like, someone other than the goddamn Americans or the fucking British or something for once or you don't do, like, a U.S. versus Germany or a U.S. versus Russia thing for one goddamn time. Oh, my God. They're, like, 500 fucking World War II games and for some reason they all feel the same need to focus on the same goddamn story over and over and over again. If you try to do Saving Private Ryan one more time in a video game, I will I will personally... I will personally subpoena Bobby Kotick and have him go to your house and sing uh, 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 Katy Perry songs at your fucking birthday party because this is it's getting out of hand. It's fucking getting out of hand. So Sledgehammer doesn't have the greatest track record with Call of Duty, but I gotta be honest, Vanguard 
feels good. Now, of course, this is just multiplayer. I haven't played the campaign, haven't played the zombies. I'm looking forward to this game because the zombies are actually being made by Treyarch. So it's got, it's like the Black Ops zombies. So really excited to see Treyarch zombies set in World War II again, just like World at War. Yes. But the multiplayer, from what I experienced on the beta, it's better than Modern Warfare 2019 where it's not as sweaty, it's not as tactical, it's not as like, oh man, you found out how to camp and use the sniper rifle real good and therefore everyone else on the map has to suffer because you're a fucking loser who plays that way. It's not like that, so I appreciate that it's not like an Infinity Ward game in that regard, but it's not like a Black Ops game either where it's like, here's a health bar with a relatively long time to kill for a Call of Duty game and all the guns feel very arcadey and fun and stupid and frantic and there's a lot of toys to play with. That's why I like the Black Ops games. It feels like you're playing with a toy box. It feels like the time to kill is longer. It feels a little more cartoony than the other Call of Duties. That's what I like about Black Ops games. It definitely doesn't feel like that. So I feel like it's somewhere in the middle. Visually, it's not the most impressive Call of Duty. Who cares? The sound has a lot of audio is a little broken in some places. There's a couple glitches going on. It's a beta, whatever. They'll patch it eventually. Who fucking cares? The gameplay itself is fun. Some the time to kill is a little faster than I would like. Some of the guns are a little unremarkable. Some of the maps are a little unremarkable, but the good maps like that, like that one Paris map on top of a hotel, that map's fucking awesome. It's frantic. It's fun. It's stupid. The MP40 is really fun to play with. The Type 100, which they named something else, I forget what they called it, is really good. Nice to see that return in the game. Um, but I, I had a decent enough time with it. I don't know if I'm going to buy this game. I might buy it, one, you know, usually during like, New Year's, there's like a sale where Call of Duty will be like 10 or 15 bucks off. I might buy it then just for a little bit of multiplayer and to play the zombies, of course. But, you know, it's like Call of Duty is in this weird thing now where everything's centered around Warzone. Everything looks and feels like Warzone and the menus are all based on Warzone. And everything is just this this baton pass of like Infinity Ward hands it to Sledgehammer to do Warzone and the menus look the same. And now they hand it back to Infinity Ward. And it's just this whole thing I don't care about. But I will say... For a game that everyone is just writing off and shitting on without giving a proper chance. Yes, while this is not the most remarkable, groundbreaking game, it's just more Call of Duty. I will say, Call of Duty ain't broke, and they didn't fix it. It is a solid, middle-of-the-road, fun-to-play Call of Duty game. It is not nearly as bad as like a Black Ops 3 or an Infinite Warfare or World War 2, but it's also not as good as like Black Ops 2 or World at War or Modern Warfare 2 or one of those games. So it's fine. It's middle of the road. If you're craving some COD, I think it's a good game. I, I don't know. Just defend that game a little bit because like, God, it's so fuck. Not that Activision needs your defense or that Call of Duty is at risk for losing its, you know, its support, but like it's just so annoying to hear gamers rip on Call of Duty because it's the trendy thing to do and not because they have genuine concerns or criticism of Call of Duty. The game makes money because it's it's fun to play, not because it's a shitty, dumb game, you know? So come up with something smarter to say. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. With all that out of the way, guys, let's jump into the news. We got not a substantial news week, but some, some decent stories to get into. So without further ado. All right, our first story this week comes from Windows Central, all about Halo Infinite, about our beta that's starting this week. You guys excited for some more Halo Infinite? You get to actually play it again. So the post reads, the next Halo Infinite tech test comes attached with strict rules, or sorry, strict scheduling, with testing slated to run from September 23rd through the 27th, with the second weekend poised for September 30th through the October 4th. However, however, the beta test has strict playtime limiting, limiting player matchmaking, 
two to two four-hour test sessions per day. Halo Infinite multiplayer matching goes live on September 24th, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and the servers will be taken offline after four hours, and then brought back on again at 8 p.m. that same day. The technical tests will maintain the cycle of four-hour windows throughout two weekends. However, 343 Industries has stated that participants will receive an opportunity to download the build before September 24th, currently slated for the evening of September 23rd in the U.S., which is Thursday night. 343 has also broken Halo Infinite testing into six four-hour play sessions per weekend, signifying the hours where players' matchmaking will be accessible. Halo Infinite multiplayer modes will not be accessible outside these strict sessions, though you'll probably be able to go into like the uh, training gun mode and everything. These sessions occur during the same hours every day, providing four hours to play before going offline. While some popular closed and open, open beta tests have... Uh, leave matchmaking open all weekend. 343 is reasoning the decision by confirming strict windows allow for a larger concurrent player counts, allowing the developers to stress test the servers before the full release. The first Halo Infinite multiplayer beta was all about the 4v4 arena uh, action, but served as a trial for AI-controlled bots. The next Halo Infinite fights look to test PvP, but with new re turning content split across two action-packed weekends weekend one focuses on 4v4 with the old maps we played last time bizarre live fire and recharge returning however no bots are present this time yet to test your skills against real players but for the second weekend another hands-on opportunity will with arena combat will return along with big team battle 343 has extended the playlist with 12v12 battles host to on-foot and vehicular chaos across some of the largest Halo maps to date. The new training mode and weapons drill will be available throughout the weekend, including when matchmaking servers go offline. The flight will also test an early iteration of Halo Infinite's Battle Pass, the tiered reward system used by the top shooters like Call of Duty and Fortnite. The beta will serve as a trial to the new user interface for the battle pass with additional menus and customization options also present for testing. Now, we just got a write-in literally as I was recording this podcast from Mr. Headhunting Halo who says, Jesse, if 343 wanted to stress test the servers on the upcoming flight, wouldn't they make it an open beta instead of doing what they do by making it so hard to get in? Well, it's twofold. So they are test test te- they are stress testing, and there is a reason behind the being selective of who gets in because the this is what they're doing. The reason why they're doing the four-hour playtime increments is because they want all their players to play at the same time so they can stress test the servers, as the story even notes, as 343 mentioned. So they are stress testing the servers. They're doing it with a limited pool of players, but they're concentrating them all into specific times, so they will stress test the servers. Now, the reason why they're being selective over who gets to play and who doesn't and everything like that is because they want feedback. This isn't one of those, you know, for example, Call of Duty Vanguard just had a beta. It was an open beta. The game comes out in two months, and Sledgehammer Games hasn't done dick to the community. They haven't asked anything. They haven't done anything. They haven't said anything. It's Call of Duty. The game's going to come out and be pretty much what we just played for the beta, maybe a little more polished and bug-free, right? 343 isn't doing that. That's what a lot of betas do. That's not what 343 is trying to do right now. 343 is trying to seriously tailor this game, all of its tweaking and all of its little features and details and everything to fan specification because 
they don't want Halo Infinite to be another Halo 4, another Halo 5. They don't want another 5 million view video on YouTube about why Halo Infinite sucks dick and Bungie was good and 343 is bad. They don't need that video again. So the whole point of these tech tests is they want to carefully curate people who are Halo insiders, people who have played Halo for a long time, been registered for a long time, who put a lot of hours into Halo and who will give good, thoughtful feedback on the game so they can carefully work on the game in these final months, polishing it up, tweaking and tuning things, adding this, taking that out, adjusting this, moving this over here, all these little nuanced details. They want to make these changes using feedback from Halo's biggest fans. So that's the reason. And this allows them to have the best of both worlds because they tell you what times of the day you can play if it corrals everyone into one time into one time slot and makes you stress test the servers, but also receiving feedback exclusively from Halo fans or predominantly from Halo fans. So I think that's the reason for why they do what they do. Now, for the most part, this story is more just informative than it is something to dive into. I do want to just say, obviously, we'll be streaming the hell out of this all this weekend, but... Unfortunately, next weekend, I'm going to be going out of town, so I'm, I'm flying back home to Atlanta to stay with some family, celebrating my father's birthday for the weekend, so I will be away from the Xbox. I will be unable. If only I could play this beta through xCloud, I would bring my Surface with me, and we I'd be able to play you know, over the weekend from home, but unfortunately, I'm not going to have an Xbox with me. I'm not going to bring my gaming PC or something like that, so I'm not going to be able to play the second beta, which is really unfortunate because that's the big team battle one. That's where we get to play all the new content. So I'm not going to really be a part of that. I'll probably get to play the night before or the last day it starts or something like that. But for the most part, I'm missing out on that one. I'm really, really salty about that. So I'm trying not to think about it. But the first one, I will be here for that. And you can bet your sweet ass will be on twitch.tv slash extreme all this weekend except late Saturday night. Um, But all Saturday day, all Friday night, and all day Sunday playing plenty of Halo Infinite, so definitely be looking forward to that. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, this is just basically follow the schedule, go to 343 if you're looking for more details on that, but this is basically just uh, this weekend is last times beta, but now we get to play against real people, and now we get to stress test the servers, and we get to see how the balancing and tweaks from last time have affected the game this far. So that's the point of this playtest. Next week is about trying big team battle and trying new features of the game. So between the two, we should have a pretty robust multiplayer suite for Halo. I'm interested in looking more into this battle pass and XP thing because I was a little irked by that and I want to give them a fair shake. So definitely want to pay close attention to that. But uh, let me know what you think. Are you excited to play some Halo? Obviously, by the time you listen to this, it's pretty much live and we're all playing anyway. So, um, I don't know. Let me know. How how was the beta? Did you have a good time? Next up, VGC Video Games Chronicle reports, Quantic Dream's next game will be based on a Star Wars on the Star Wars IP. It has been claimed. That's according to French YouTuber Gautos, who claimed this week that the Detroit Become Human and Heavy Rain developer, helmed by designer David Cage, has signed a deal with Disney now that its three-game contract with Sony has ended. Saying, quote, They now finished their contract with Sony and will be signing with Disney... It looks like they will be working on a new Star Wars game, uh, the YouTuber's channel said. The claim was made later corroborated by reliable games industry insider Tom Henderson, who posted a cryptic Star Wars and Detroit mashup on Twitter, Detroit Become Human, the last game on PlayStation. Earlier this year, Lucas signaled that its Star Wars exclusivity deal with EA was over, and the 
or at least coming to an end by partnering with Ubisoft on a new open world game. In January, the company described the Ubisoft partnership as a new direction for Lucasfilm Gaming and confirmed that it was opening its doors to other developers who want to pitch Star Wars games. Now, Douglas Riley, VP of Lucasfilm Games, wrote, We're looking to work with the best-in-class teams to make great games across all of our IP. We've got a team of professionals here at Lucasfilm Games who can work with the developers, shape the stories, shape the creative, shape the games, and make the really and make them really resonate with fans and deliver across a breadth of platform genres and experiences so that all of our fans can enjoy the IP they know and love. Having ended a decade-long exclusive working relationship with Sony in 2019, Quantic Dream released the former PlayStation-only game, Detroit Become Human, Heavy Rain, and Beyond Two Souls for, play, for PC back in 2020. The studio has said it's targeting multi, multi-platform product releases for its future unannounced games, meaning that despite the company's lack of history with Xbox, this game would likely make its way to our favorite console that is green and more often these days white and black, but whatever. You fucking know what I mean. Now, this one, I don't know. Let's take this one with a grain of salt. This is not a confirmed, wholly happening one. This isn't one of those rumors where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it's a rumor, but it's happening. This is one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, this is like 70%, I believe it. But this is a big one because this is a big talent that was very Sony centric for a long time. And Sony and David Cage, the head of the studio, had a massive falling out. The Sony basically does not like this guy and does not want to work with this guy going forward. So to see him kind of leave Sony's good graces like that, not too surprising. But the fact that Disney would want to work with these guys, that's the part I find a little hard. Now, Quantic Dream is a respected developer, especially from a critical standpoint. But the fact that they're being trusted with Star Wars presumably with you know self-published although they've got to be partnering with someone for the publishing <laughs> that's a little bit of like a big one it's like really for star wars who's publishing that so that's the only part in this i find kind of hard to, to 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 believe now the rest of it i think it actually is a good fit now quantic dream known for these kinds of choice-based adventure games Kind of like the Life is Strange games or the Telltale games, but a little more gameplay focused. You know, these guys are renowned. They make really compelling stories, they're very cinematic games. To see them take that and apply it to Star Wars, I think is a very effective, a very potent way to bring that to bring that that IP to gaming. Uh, when you consider Star Wars is a obviously a very uh, watchable IP as it is mostly known for its movies and shows. I think bringing more of that style to the gameplay realm uh, is a good idea, considering there are probably a lot of Star Wars gamers fans out there that aren't gamers and would maybe be interested in getting more into Star Wars games. But, you know, Jedi Fallen Order is a little bit too much like Dark Souls and a little too inaccessible for, you know, a casual gamer to just jump in and kick ass at. So... I, I think there is a market for this. I think this is good. We see we see Star Wars manifest in so many genres, from racing, action, to open world, uh, first-person shooters, Western RPGs, all these kinds of things. Uh, but we have never seen this kind of like story-based adventure game. So it'd be cool. It's a, it's a cool way to explore Star Wars, I think. Um, choice-based, blah, 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 blah. Now, now you got to wonder, we're, we're talking about, I find it hard to believe these guys are self-publishing because where would they come up with the money to get the Star Wars IP all by themselves? It's expensive IP. They can't self-publish them like that. They're relatively new to this self-publishing thing. All they've done is self-publish games that have already been released just on PC. So like, how's that work? 
But we also see an Xbox that desperately needs some access to Star Wars, some access to more Disney IP. Based on what we've been talking about, I feel like this is a good opportunity for Xbox to step in and be like, hey, you guys uh, you guys work with PlayStation usually, right? Okay, well, we like slapping Sony in the face. How'd you like to make your game for us? Oh, you need publishing money? Hey, we got money. We'll publish it. I feel like the stars have aligned and everything is just so to where Xbox could publish this game. They could do a second party game. Uh, with Quantic Dream, and this could be a good one for them. Ticks a lot of boxes, gives them some Star Wars, middle fingers Sony a little bit by getting some of their own old talent, gives Quantic Dream the money they need to publish a game like, you know, to get a game like Star Wars out and going. So I just feel like maybe gives Disney a little bit more confidence being backed like someone like Microsoft or Xbox. So I just feel like, you know, just I, I don't have too much to say on this one, but I just want to push those ideas and and suggest those things put it all out there let you guys make of it what you will now i don't think this is this is more of like a the only thing i don't love about this idea this hypothetical here is that i think players are looking for some gamers xbox fans are looking for something a little more substantial than like an adventure story-based game so it would be a little disappointing if it's like xbox is getting a star wars game but it is a choose-your-adventure cinematic game, not like a gameplay game. So that's the only like downside, I think, to this. But also probably a more affordable game to make than most other you know, AAA licensed games. So not a bad idea all around, but we'll have to keep an eye out to see how this manifests, if it becomes real. And then we've got a little bit of sad news here coming up. IGN reports that Titanfall's community coordinator, Jason Garza, says that Respawn is unlikely to make Titanfall 3 or a new, any new content for Titanfall 2, as the studio is working on too many other games at the moment. As reported by Dextero, Garza revealed during a live stream that there was nothing in the works for the Titanfall series, saying that there's nothing there. We've got too many other games in the works at the moment. Garza did clarify that Respawn is still investigating major hacking vulnerabilities in Titanfall 2 that took place earlier in the summer which has been plagued by security concerns over hackers. Now, Titanfall is Respawn's first major franchise, combining the FPS genre with large mechs. Titanfall 2 was considered one of the best games of the year when it released in 2016. It has amassed a devoted following, but Respawn has since moved on to focus primarily on its battle royale game, Apex Legends, which is far, far more lucrative than than uh, Titanfall. Now, this flies in the face a little bit with something that was in the news last week, which we didn't touch on maybe enough, which was, remember that NVIDIA GeForce leak? Well, they were leaking a lot. There's a lot more in that, in that leak than just some Xbox exclusives. There were Sony games in there. There were third-party games out the ass, and one of them was Titanfall 3. Titanfall 3 was one of the projects that was leaked in that GeForce uh, bevy of information we, we saw last week. So, again, that doesn't mean the leak is false or that Titanfall 3 is in development. A lot of the information that was in there is from a lot of projects that were probably being floated or things that were worked on and then left behind or various projects of various statuses. So keep in mind, there's a lot in those leaks that is like, oh, things have changed since that information was put in there. Uh, this project's no longer in development or this project has been delayed or moved to this project or what have you. But Titanfall 3 was among the games in that list of, of leaked content from the pretty easy-to-believe GeForce leak. Because remember, that wasn't like some YouTuber leaked this GeForce information. It was like, no, NVIDIA had a vulnerability and all this information got out. This is information NVIDIA had. This isn't like 
someone knows someone who said something. It's like pretty much firsthand experience or firsthand information. So the fact that we know at least at some point a Titanfall 3 was in development or being played around with leads us to believe that either one, this information is false and Titanfall 3 is coming, which is the more unlikely one, or two, Titanfall 3 was being played around with, or maybe there was some build or some idea for it, but has since been put on ice as the company is focused on, we know, another Star Wars game, Apex Legends, and some other games, and Vin Zampella, the head of that studio, is being kind of split between other teams in EA as he's kind of being given more and more responsibility and more more leadership roles as he kind of grows with the company and brings more and more success to EA. So it is a hard situation here where there's just not enough resources to go around for poor Titanfall. But the reality is, I, I just don't think Titanfall is actively in development. I don't think we're in the process of getting a Titanfall 3 in the next two years or whatever. I do think Titanfall makes a comeback i think it's one of those properties where it's like maybe for its time it wasn't ideal but give it a, give it a, enough time give it enough years and it'll be one of those things where it's like such a cult classic people will be clamoring for it that it might come back and be a huge splash the problem is titanfall is an ea game and ea has been burned by this in the past look at mirror's edge they also had mirror's edge in that nvidia leak a remaster of the first one the ea famously didn't want to revisit mirror's edge because it did it did so poorly the first one back in 08 but there was such a loud and passionate fan base including myself who were constantly like we want more mirror's edge bring it back and so in 2014 i think it was they released that Titanfall or Mirror's Edge Catalyst, that sequel or prequel to Mirror's Edge. And it critically and commercially bombed because it was just a bunch of loud Mirror's Edge fans that were like, we want this. And they're like, okay, here, we'll make it. And then people didn't buy it. And so I wonder if there's that fear at EA that is Titanfall just the next Mirror's Edge? Is this that next game where, yes, the critics loved it. Yes, we have a really loud fan base that just won't shut up about how they want it back. But the second we green light it, the second it hits store shelves, it's going to review well or review okay or whatever and then just sell meh. And they don't want to risk it, especially when that's coming from a studio that can produce something as lucrative as Apex Legends, as Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. You know, when you have those games which make so much money and garner so much attention from so many critics and players and fans... It's like, well, why would you take a chance on Titanfall when you can guarantee success with Apex Legends or Star Wars? So I think that's the situation Titanfall finds itself in, unfortunately. <coughs> but for now, I'm firmly in the camp that Titanfall 3 at some point was in development and it's currently on ice. It's not canceled. It's not an absolute no. I think it's just at this moment, Titanfall 3 is just kind of in limbo. Maybe that's uh, worse than what you were expecting to hear, but... That's where I fall on it. That's my take based on the information. Remember, if those NVIDIA leaks were 100% real and Titanfall 3 were definitely coming, EA, Respawn, no one would have come out and been like, oh, yeah, 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 no, there's no Titanfall. They wouldn't have said anything because they'd be like, fuck, our game's leaked. They would have kept quiet. So the fact that they're coming out to say, no, there's there's no Titanfall 2. Just like 343 came out and said, there's no Halo 5 on PC right now because they want to set the expectation. They don't want people to be misled. They don't want five years of people saying, we know Titanfall 3 is real. Show it, you you cowards, because they're like, no, we, we don't have it. Don't ask. Next up from VGC again. Best Buy is reportedly preparing to sell PS5 and Xbox Series X consoles in stores for the first time this year. 
according to internal inventory screens shared with TechRadar. The retailer has a limited number of both consoles available for purchase physically beginning this Thursday, September 23rd, the day this podcast goes live. A select number of Best Buy stores It's expected to have over 50 of each console available with many more likely to be on sale at outlets in major metropolitan areas. So check your local Best Buy, especially if you're in a metropolitan area. While the method of selling the console has yet to be confirmed. It's claimed that sales, the sales process is expected to work similarly to how Best Buy restocked NVIDIA GPU cards this summer. I don't know how that was. If this provides to be correct, Best Buy managers will distribute paper tickets and queuing customers from 7 to 7.30 in the morning ahead of store openings. Of course, local time. Some, some consoles may also be sold online with Best Buy offering same-day pickup either at storefront or curbside. So... This is more of a PSA than anything, but this is a big deal when you think about it because obviously we knew sh- there were going to be supply shortages for these consoles, much like there was last generation at the start with PS4 and Xbox One. But usually the way we're used to seeing this kind of play out is something to the effect of like PlayStation's hard to find for five or six months and then it kind of levels out. Xbox is hard to find for a month or two and then it kind of levels out. What we're seeing here because of chip shortages and COVID and everything is PlayStation 5 is still borderline impossible to find almost a full year later. Xbox Series X is very hard to find, almost impossible to find, almost a year later. Sold exclusively online. Everything goes to fucking bots and resellers. So actual people who want to pay good money for these a lot of times aren't even able to get them. And it's just this never-ending cycle of, hey, we want to play your stupid fucking game. We just can't buy your console. Hey, we would love to find out what Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is like or play um, Darksiders Remastered or whatever. Demon's Souls Remastered. But guess what? We can't buy your fucking console. So this is great. It gives people a way, especially if they don't do the order online, same day pickup curbside thing. It gives people a fair shot. You know, there are people who live in parts of this country, U.S. speaking, of course, where internet is not the best. And for them, it would be easier if they could just go to, if they could just wake up early, take some time out of their schedule, show up early enough to be the first one line to get secure their PS5 or Xbox Series X. For a lot of people, that's the easiest way for them to get this thing. That's the realistic way for them to get this thing. So by limiting it to people, you know, who have great internet, who have access to, you know, the best, the, you know, the best servers, the best times, whatever, it's it's really just painting an unfair picture for a lot of people. Now, obviously, they say consoles are mostly going to be available in metropolitan areas, so it still makes it somewhat of a of a skewed kind of odds but again i think there are people who are going to be willing to drive to the next major city to help give them a more fair shot at getting one of these consoles as opposed to the whole well best buy.com supposed to have them in stock at 3 p.m today online fingers crossed get that f5 key ready and then lo and behold 12 seconds fucking in a bot got all the fucking consoles you didn't get shit and now they're on ebay for twice the price that's gotta stop you got to give people another way. I understand COVID and social distancing. I think this is a little too late, honestly. I feel like this should have started in the summer. But finally, we're getting to a point where we're going to have another way for people to have a fair shake at getting these consoles. I'm all for it. I hope this goes well. I hope this is helps some of you who I know are still out there trying to get your Series X. Hopefully, it gives you an opportunity to get a fair shake at one of these boxes. Especially for PlayStation 5, because that one's just been... I mean, at this point, you could have at the very least got a Series S. They're not hard to get. 
especially PS5. It's like, that's that's a fucking unicorn. And our wrap-up story today comes from Windows Central. It reads, according to a report from XboxSquad.fr, which is French, a listing of a 500-gigabyte SSD option for Seagate has appeared on a wholesale retailer Intellect's internal system. The listing suggests costs around 125 euros, making it roughly half the price of the one-terabyte version of the SSD card you might expect. Xbox Squad also posted a separate listing from French retailer McRomania, suggesting a November 14th launch for the 512GB card, costing around 150 bucks US. Right now, the cheapest way to expand your Series X or S storage is to use an external USB SSD or HDD drive thing, redundant thing to say, and move the games to and from your internal storage and back as needed. The process is cumbersome, it can suck dick, but it can save you quite a bit of cash. This is uh, cool. This is, I don't know, this is like a whole story story, but the whole one terabyte, one option for external storage is kind of rough. It's like, dude, not everyone can just drop 220 bucks or whatever it is on a little chip to give them more SSD. So any way of adding more SKUs, lower cost SKUs, so that more people can get their hands on this storage that's mandatory for these new consoles is great in my opinion. But still at 150 bucks, 125 euros, whatever, for just 512 gigabytes of SSD, no thanks. I'll just stick, you know, I, I, I'm still using my two terabyte HDD that I bought seven years ago, you know, to store all my games and just kind of what the article said. I just kind of swap them out with the internal and external hard drive as needed because I'm not about to spend over 200 bucks on a little storage card. I, that's one of those things. Storage is one of the things I have the hardest time pulling the trigger on. You know, it's like, oh, accessories, like a new controller, new headset, whatever. Okay, that's, yeah, buy. But it's like, oof, storage. It's like, that's not a fun, sexy buy. So the more expensive you make storage, you know, the harder it is to get people to impulse buy. Because it's like, deal with this cumbersome system of deleting and reinstalling things. Or spend an arm and a leg to get storage. So, this is a this is a conundrum. Obviously, SSD, you know, SSD storage is expensive no matter what you know thing you're buying it for. But this is a this is a nut that has to be cracked for home consoles, which is how can we get storage more affordable? Because right now it is just untenable. You know, with the file size of these Xbox games and then the price of storage, it's just not very realistic of an ask for consumers to be like yeah just drop another 200 bucks you know whatever for uh for a little extra storage on your xbox that's gonna go what that'll get you like one more call of duty game i don't think so so we'll, we'll keep an eye out on that and hopefully that pans out now that's gonna do it for all of our news news now we're gonna jump into all of our important enough news stories important enough to make the podcast but not important enough to warn their own discussion of which we have a small handful. First of all, Windows Central reports that 343 Industries Halo developer have announced in a blog post that when Halo launches on December 8th, seasonal updates for Master Chief Collection will stop as the studio shifts focus to the new title. In the post, they explain that they're keeping both games updated with seasonal updates and content offerings. It's not an ideal uh, uh, way for the studio to operate, and therefore they're adopting this new approach. Under the new plan, Halo Infinite will receive seasonal updates while content features, while content feature and stability updates for Master Chief Collection will land when they're ready based on development statuses and studio roadmap alignment. So just to be aware, we're reaching the final days of Master Chief Collection content, if you will. Video Game Chronicle reports that THQ Nordic announced six new games during their 10th anniversary showcase on Friday. I can't believe it's been 10 years. It's crazy. Including a new SpongeBob 3D platformer and remake of Destroy All Humans 2. 
The publisher also revealed Outcast 2, MX vs. ATV Legends, which I'm excited about, Superpower 3, and Jagged Alliance 3. So you can look out for all those games announced coming relatively soon each one or no release date at all depending on the game and then next vgc announced or reports that an updated collection of the disney games uh classic disney games will reportedly hit consoles soon with snes versions of aladdin and the jungle book now the classic disney classics aladdin lion king were remastered in 2019 for switch xbox one pc ps4 the disney classics game collection which was first outed by the Entertainment Software Ratings Board in August, is headed to PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox, of course, both one and series consoles. According to the classification body, it will include the following games, Disney's Aladdin, Final Cut for Mega Drive, SNES, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Mega, Sega Mega Drive, Disney's Aladdin demo version, Japanese version, Disney's The Lion King, SNES, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Mega Drive, as well as Japanese version and Disney's Jungle Book, SNES, Game Boy, and Mega Drive. It's unclear if people who purchased the game in 2019 will get any any discount or any upgrade, but according to the reports, Aladdin features difficulty adjustments, camera changes, and the title includes 1080p graphics, quick saves, and the ability to rewind gameplay up to 15 seconds, and full game soundtracks will be included. So we'll have to follow up on that report as more information is learned. And finally, IGN reports that Tales of Arise has already hit an impressive sales milestone. Less than a week after its release, Bandai Namco announced that in just a few days of release, the game, the latest release in a long-running Tales series, surpassed 1 million units sold worldwide. This makes it the fastest-selling game in the franchise. Tales of Arise's 1 million units sold brings the total series units sold to a very respectable 25 million units so big congrats to um, bandai there pretty big success people seem to be really digging that game i that's a game i wish i had time for but there's just no way right now it's bad timing for that one played scarlet nexus a few months ago that was great i just don't have time for two of these right now but game looks fantastic now we're gonna skip the new game releases of the week but i will point out some notable ones real fast for you world war z aftermath is out now it's the big content update or sequel it's just a whole new thing for that game diablo 2 resurrected is out now at the time you're listening to this it is a smart delivery title optimized for series x and s and a lot of people are excited about that game Ooh, death park this sounds interesting explore a huge abandoned amusement park with a killer clown in the center of it Will you be able to solve the puzzles and stay online, blah, blah, blah? I might have to check that out. And lastly, Lost Judgment comes out Friday, September 24th. Big Yakuza spinoff title. Definitely worth a look. Game is getting great reviews, so that is worth a note as well. And then for Games of Gold, as a reminder, we got Warhammer Chaos Bane for the rest of the month. And then we've got Samurai Showdown from September 16th to the 30th. Mulaka is available until October 15th, so download those games now while you still care. And now I still can. And then next week, we'll probably know about October's games. But with that said, guys, my voice is completely shot. If you can't tell, sorry, I'm developing something of a cold here. And it's uh, really affecting my voice. So we'll wrap it up there, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry if it was a little more rushed towards the end there. I'm losing I'm losing my, my steam here. But we will be live this weekend playing Halo Infinite at twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. Follow me on Twitter for updates on when I'm going live at jesse derosa if you want to talk video games xbox halo surface duo hit me up there and of course subscribe to the youtube page drop a like please help grow us we're getting close to a thousand subscribers on the xbox on podcast channel i would like to get there soon if we can but thank you all for your support thank you for your time you're listening 
And until next week, power your dreams. <laughs>